Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Inflow podcast. Owning and running your own business can be uncertain, frightening, hectic, as well as vibrant, exciting and fulfilling all at the same time. Whatever your experience, becoming an entrepreneur is most definitely a journey worth taking. My name is Anna Ambika, your educator, business mentor, serial entrepreneur and lover of nature, yoga and climbing mountains, and your host of this vibrant channel, Entrepreneurs in Flow. As a serial entrepreneur, mother and wife, I've experienced over 25 years of those daily troubles and the turns you have to take on the entrepreneur's journey to keep in flow. I want to bring you to a place where you hear from myself and other inspirational entrepreneurs about their journey to the success that they have created. This channel is a place for you to feel energized, empowered and encouraged and also learn about the real entrepreneur business challenges, strategies and lessons that helped to positively grow the entrepreneurial mindset. From the offline success stories to the online tech triumphs, I want you to hear journeys and paths of all walks of entrepreneurs, whether they are on or offline social media. I know you feel empowered, encouraged and on fire for the things you need to do and learn. So this is the most definitely the podcast time well invested in your busy entrepreneurial day. And me, as your business mentor, I'm really excited to support you on your journey. Hello everyone and welcome to the next episode of Entrepreneurs in Flow. Today I'm extremely excited to be joined by and share the mic with Richard Evans, the director and founder of The Profs. Richard, welcome. Hi, Anna. Thank you so much for having me. It's fantastic. Now, Richard and I go back, gosh, um, what has it been, five years now, five or six years when we met through the Tutors Association, um, through the industry, the Tutoring Association. So I'm really excited to hear more from Richard today in his entrepreneurial journey. Richard, tell me a little bit, tell our viewers and our listeners more about um, what you were doing before you set up your business, the founder of The Profs, and um, that was back in 2016, and how then you became an entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been a professional private tutor since my university days. I'm getting a bit older now, so it's over a decade. And I was very much expected to be, I think, a lawyer or a banker or maybe a consultant. But I found something that I really loved and was quite good at and could get me paid and do something quite good for society. And I just fell in love with it. So I graduated without a set career path. And after about 18 months of continuing to tutor, which I absolutely loved, I thought, well, how, how can I expand on this? How, how can I scale myself up? So very organically, my own work grew into a tutoring agency. And I banded together with other like-minded tutors, uh, my business partner, my brother, who was at the time uh, had been a lecturer in finance at Imperial Business School. And we started thinking, how can we help more students? Um, because we were getting more demand than we could handle. Uh, which is a fantastic way to start a business, of course, with the demand first. Uh, from that, we grew the profs, been over 10 years now. Um, last week, we've actually processed over 20 million of sales, which we're delighted by that massive, crazy landmark. Uh, and we've also expanded out into other businesses. So uh, we acquired a close competitor, Tavistock Tutors. Uh, my brother founded Bitpaper, an online whiteboard, which 15x during the pandemic when all education moved online and most of it actually has stayed online now in our one-to-one -one world uh, and also we've invested in online teaching platform Spires so um, I guess I'm a serial entrepreneur at this point. <laughs> what, what a great story and 20 million sales all from this passion for tutoring. Let's just want to unpick that a little bit more and dig a little bit deeper about what drove you to really love um like so what tutoring were you doing you were going from house to house or what kind of tutoring were you doing what subjects were you tutoring what sort of students were you impacting your knowledge on yeah it's it's so different looking back now and it's it's crazy there's that uh line that's attributed to bill gates although i'm sure many others have said it 
of uh, people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10. And I've recently reached that first decade of my uh, career post-university. So it's amazing looking back that what I do is entirely different from what I used to do. So you're correct. I would be on the tube every day in London eating a you know, sandwich quite miserably in between clients, rushing around, uh, taking on any work that I could get. I was tutored all the way down to, I think, eight years old, my youngest, and I was tutoring people of their MBAs uh, who were approaching their 30s. Uh, it was very ad hoc. It wasn't uh, as professionalized as it is now. Uh, I spent most of my day traveling rather than earning. And I had to sit down and think, right, what are the core challenges here that stop what I love being something that could be a career and what is actually detracting from that love of it. And for me, that was preparation. That was too much time dealing with clients rather than actually uh, the admin of clients rather than actually working with them. The tutoring was what I loved. Uh, and of course, I was concerned I wouldn't be able to make uh, a stable income that would replicate that as a professional service, such as a banker and lawyer. So I really set about with the profs to solve those three challenges and create a home for professional tutors. Uh, a few years ago, I think we had solved all those challenges, uh, and now you certainly can make a full-time job of being a tutor, which is great. Um, and I still continue to stay to tutor. I spend as much time as I can outside the office, working with my clients, enjoying the business that I built for people like myself. And that that's just so motivational to hear because a lot of my listeners are um, startups and they perhaps would be coming from university looking to start their businesses and start creating um, a business plan but actually have that deep-rooted desire to follow their passion from their heart is is what you've done and understanding that at that time despite everybody if we take the mindsets myself being in the tuition industry as well for gosh over 20 years is that tuition was perceived as something you did on the side to um, you know, add on income to perhaps a classroom teaching role or perhaps you know, something you'd gig in the night and add some extra cash from. So it's your side hustle. But to actually go and disrupt that market and look at the areas where it was lacking around preparation, admin, being pay, paid a fair amount of money for the work you did, despite the traveling where it was online and you're pivoting onto the online space or whether you were doing face-to-face -face at that time, takes lots of gutsy research. How much research did you have to do in those early days of setting up the profs? Yeah, it's a great question. I One of my pieces of advice is you know, jump in. Um, because it can be off-putting uh, doing too much research. So I very almost didn't start the profs because I uh, Googled uh, university-level tutoring. So we are especially niche in university and adult level. That's our, our niche. And I'll, I'll talk later about the importance of finding a niche or your USP, what, what makes you stand out from all the other people trying to do the same. And there was one business, I won't name and shame, uh, but not very good, not very reputable. And I remember a split decision where I was so close saying, well, someone's already done this, so I'm not going to get involved. And thank goodness I have, because it's been good for the industry, uh, myself, my clients, my tutors, uh, and, uh, and, and I think uh, a lot of other people as well that I did choose to get involved. So you must not be put off by competition. You have to ask yourself, can I do this better? And that's really, really important to me, uh, is building a business on quality, being the best in the industry. Beyond that, the research I did was from being a tutor myself. So I had at that point spent over two years in the tutoring industry, which is uh, seen as quite a long time, given, as you said, it used to be seen as this bit part job done by students and people with proper jobs, in inverted commas, outside of their tutoring. That was something I wanted to challenge. And so the research I had to do was I'd never had a job. I never actually had that proper job. I never had a manager. I never had an employment contract. So a lot of what I had to learn was the quite basic nitty gritty of setting up a company in that admin and secretarial role. And what I learned is you have to know enough for someone not to be able to take you for a ride. And then you have to pass it on and delegate to someone who's better at doing it than yourself. 
So the first two years were so busy as I learned marketing and advertising, as I learned basic HR systems, functions, payments, sales, operations, all these different functions to just know enough that I could then hire or contract people to take those roles on to do them better but in a way that they wouldn't be able to take me for a ride and overcharge me, for example. Mm, exactly. And I think there's some very clear nuggets there. I love that. That is absolutely amazing in terms of, you know, the way I teach my mentees is about what we call the five pillars of business. And those five pillars, you've literally, not that you've been on any of my courses, Richard, but you've touched on them very beautifully there. You know, sales, what is your sales funnel and how are you training your staff or do you have a sales team? Do you have a system in place? Marketing, what are you doing around your brand? What are you doing around understanding the messaging in terms of um, having clear avatars that you're selling to and actually defining those avatars in marketing? We call this customer profiling. Um, your product, how you actually developing your products and for you obviously taking that market share by doing your research in marketing we have to do enormous amount of research to understand our competitors and as you beautifully put there find the bits that you can do better yeah that's what the research is about we find the research that we can do better and then whatever that is that you can do better, how is that product relevant in the market? And COVID is an example of that. You know, um, we were able to pivot our tutoring businesses 100% into the online space by using powerful platforms and new platforms that were born and accelerated and trajected through that COVID period when we couldn't uh, visit homes for tutoring you also talked very nicely there about your people and building teams, passing on things that you had enough knowledge about, but you knew it wasn't your thing and you needed to move, pass it on to someone else. The only way you scale a business is to identify talent, maximize and manage that team of talent and grow and be you know um, an efficient leader of that team as the founder and obviously the last one was finance understanding your cash flow accountability in terms of where that money is spent and of course investment seeking investment all comes into marketing um, because investors will only want to invest in you if they can see the growth, they can see the potential. Uh, fundamentally, Absolutely. if we go back to the uh, uh, grimes of pitching and, you know, that sort of dragon's den, it's all about they're in in actually investing in you, aren't they, Richard? Yeah, absolutely. You are the... Uh, you are the leader of your business. You're the face of your business. You're the energy. You're the passion. You set the the mission, the direction. And what is too too easy to do, particularly for an unfunded business, which the majority of businesses are. That's those that didn't raise money or capital from someone like Dragon's Den uh, or a venture capitalist. Is is to lose sight of that. Is to feel that you have to keep yourself busy all the time and to do busy work and. I've learned many, many, many things in business. I always say it's a misstep, not a mistake. A misstep is when you get something wrong. A mistake is when you do it again and you know it's wrong to do it. So I haven't made many mistakes. I made a lot of missteps and learned from them. And one of those was certainly feel, having to feel busy. And I, I'll admit that at the start of the business, there's so much to do, but there's also not a lot going on. I didn't have very many clients. So I didn't have all of the complexities of admin and staff or didn't have any staff. So I didn't have any HR um, issues to deal with. There was a lot of just sitting around at the beginning, which is um, quite funny because I spent the first three years just doing busy work, making myself busy because that felt like doing business. And I look back on a day like today and I've got nothing to do this afternoon. And that is because I've done my job. I have correctly set aside a vision, hired the right people into it, trained them, mentored them, given them good tasks, and I can sit back and the business is autonomous and growing. That 10 years ago seemed crazy to me. I felt like I had to do everything. So one of my pieces of advice is 
work out what needs to be done, and then work out what resources in terms of people and capital or maybe technology you need to get there and try to constantly automate yourself out of a job. Because what am I going to do this afternoon? I'm going to go into the office, going to see my senior team, going to have a nice lunch with them and be very positive. And I'm going to set a new direction and I'm going to work out what can I automate over the next three, six months. And then I'm going to do it again in six months and then I'm going to do it again. And that's really how to grow a business and entrepreneur. Automate yourself out of the process and hire better, smarter people to do it better than you would. That's a top tip there, um, Richard. I'm sure all our entrepreneurs that are listening to this will understand that mastering the tech of your business and automation really is um, the way to ensure that in this information age where we are moving so fast that we, you know, if we just blink, something else comes along. I remember in December 22 when I start start first heard about chat GPT and the use of AI in marketing, I was blown away. And within two months, you know, everyone's using it and taking advantage of it. So brilliant tip there from Richard about mastering the tech of your business and ensuring that the automation aspect is there so you can have this bird's eye view of what's going on. Um, and you're working on the business instead of in the business and you're enabling enabling people to be in their zone of genius because essentially as entrepreneurs it's it's important to understand that you know we can't do everything and you've you've actually demonstrated that beautifully this morning so Look, what I'd like to do now is for you to tell me a little bit more about your services and your products and services, because I know that I've got this little sneaky thing that you don't just do the profs, do you? Tell me a little bit more about the other um, little projects that are going on. So, yeah, it's, it's grown and grown. And when you see something that um, you get a sense of it, but when you see something successful, a product or a service that is working and hopefully flying off the shelves faster than you can provide it, uh, that's what I'm always going to invest in. Um, so our core business is tutoring and university tutoring. So we had to find that niche. And to answer your question earlier, what was my research? It was realizing that nobody in the market was servicing university and adult level tutoring at professional exams, like an ACA accounting exam or CFA financial regulatory exam. No one was really servicing this. It was mainly GCSE and common entrance sort of examinations. So we spent years building that. We then realized that getting into university, so going down our funnel was helpful. That would help us get more university students and we could do it very well. And that's still the core business today. Um, we have very, very proudly a 90% success rate of getting students the grade that they want or even exceeding it, and actually a 91% success rate of getting students into a first or second choice university. That's usually in Oxbridge or maybe in LSE, UCL or Imperial. So we're making these life-changing results. We then had to build the future we wanted. So that imagine that young me on a tube all day. Maybe I was being paid £30 per hour, but I wasn't getting that because my effective rate was £10. I would travel an hour to my client, do an hour of tutoring and travel back. So that £30 quite quickly um, disappeared. And that's before, of course, paying for those travel costs. So then we built online tutoring, my brother being an absolute visionary in this, realizing that it opened up um, so much time. You know, I can now do three sessions instead of one and I didn't have to leave the house. Uh, which meant I could also work internationally. Or we started seeing, for example, young mothers and young parents tutoring in between their uh, young children's schedule or people being able to tutor after work from their office, which they may not have been able to do without getting home very late. So online tutoring opened up this huge revolution in tutoring. And this was back in 2015, five years before the pandemic sort of forced everything to move online which of course having built the future meant that when the future occurred and all tutoring moved online, and I'd say about 98% um, of professional tutoring is now occurring online, whether it was probably only 2% back in 2015, we had built the tools for that. So my brother built Bitpaper, the leading online whiteboard for helping tutors and students, which we then monetized, uh, which has been obviously very good uh, for the business. And of course, investing in a pure online business which is spires so all of our products came from a need what did we need as tutors and professionals what did the other 
half a million private tutors in the UK and millions and millions of students around the world need for their tools. And what we've done is create good products and services first, and eventually we monetize them once we've got enough critical mass and enough loyal following that it's ready to get yourself a bit of pay from it. That's amazing. I think you're, you're, you're very strategic in everything you've done. Where does that come from? Is that your parents or who are your key influences? Because, you know, just listening to you, which I don't think we've ever had this deep um, conversation. It's the first one in the time I've known you. Where's those sort of very strategic thinking come from, do you think? <laughs> you're far too kind. It, it isn't strategic thinking. I'd love to say that I sat there 10 years ago and mapped out this genius master plan. I didn't, uh, and very, very few of us do. What I did instead, I mean, to put it into context, my brother first said, I want to do online tutoring. I said, that sounds like a silly idea, right? I was a total Luddite in this, <laughs> uh, despite being seen as an online entrepreneur these days. Um, you follow the money is one of the most important pieces of advice. Uh, another way of putting this in the parlance of management terms is, create a demand-focused business first. So a lot of people create the supply, they create this fantastic, amazing product, but then it fails the first question of business. Does anybody care? The second question of business is, does anybody care enough to pay? And the third question of business is, do enough people care enough to pay? Those are the only three questions that matter in business. So does anyone care enough for private tutoring? Absolutely, that was very clear. Did enough people care for our niche in university tutoring? Well, many people thought they didn't, and they were wrong, and that was something we did spot. Then we saw the problems. Do enough people want to be a tutor? No, why not? Because of this travel, because the clients are all over the world and country. Let's create online tutoring. Again, does anyone care? Yes, tutors care. Does anyone care enough to pay? Yes, it turns out they do. Do enough people care to pay? Yes, you can build a business of it. So each of these businesses came from just asking those same three questions and every single project goes back to the same. Does anyone care? Does anyone care enough to pay? Do enough people to care? And it's brilliant to hear you think that that is strategic thinking. I, I guess it is in hindsight, but really it just comes down to follow the money. Don't build a wonderful product that no one cares about or is available for free online instead. Absolutely. And I think what I love about you, what you've said is, um, I mean, I when I mentor and coach people, I go, go right down to the basics and I actually think about, you know, methodology of the five W's and a H. Yeah. Yes. So anyone that's teaching um, right down to sort of year four and year five, when we're getting children, young children to write a story or write a non-fictional text, we ask them what's happening? Where is it happening? who's in it, when is it going to happen, why should you do that, and how. And actually, that's what you do in marketing and actually concept development. When you're working through a concept for a business and you're trying to work through the minimum viable product and looking at how you're going to disrupt something that's out there at the moment where you're suffering margin depletion in terms of you know, the travel to the customer's home um, and the travel back and all these essentially add-ons that are affecting your baseline charging. It's all about asking those questions and becoming strategic in the way you ask whether that product and service is viable in the market space. Can you make enough money to ensure that there's enough money for at some point profit, because that would be great, and then for reinvestment. So I, I love the fact that you've um, explained that so eloquently, and I'm sure that there's enough there that you know all our listeners are gonna take that way and scri scribbling everything down. What I also found really interesting is some statistic that I, I'm gonna own up to say that I don't know, because I don't spend an enormous amount of time in the tutoring industry nowadays is that in 2015, there was 2% of people online um, in terms of receiving tuition, and now it's 90. Is that correct? Could you just, um, I'm just a bit curious around that statistic. Yeah, so there's been an absolute explosion. The online tutoring industry was moving online. It's actually how we met uh, as non-executive directors of our uh, the Tutors Association, our, our self-appointed uh, industry body. And one of my key objectives there was to help tutoring move online. Now, where I potentially did think strategically was I was seeing the rise of what was being called Skype 
tutoring back then. Yes. Skype tutoring typically was a not very good tutor, often not in the UK, offering five, ten pounds an hour tutoring on Skype. And they would just lecture or talk at someone. And this is becoming a real problem because what we were doing and what online tutoring is, uh, is not that. We were using Zoom before anyone had even heard of Zoom. Uh, the CEO of Zoom was on a sales call to my brother. It was that small back wow. then. Uh, wow. We certainly should have invested in, in them. But we were using these technologies and creating bit paper and you know, recording studios and uh, interactive uh, online whiteboards. We'd always sit up there with a pen and paper and professional tutoring. As the uh, Telegraph once quoted, it looks a bit like the Matrix when you see what a professional tutor looks like. Now, we were seeing this really not very good quality, uh, product coming in and try and say it's cheap. Uh, and Skype tutoring was very, very common, you may remember, in 2015, whereas now it is correctly seen as quite a negative thing. No disrespect to, uh, to Skype, it just happened that people were using the platform uh, Skype rather than educational tools. So I wanted to get in and help lead the industry to show them what professional online tutoring could be. And I'm delighted that many of us did this because when 2020 came and suddenly the industry had to move online, unlike uh, the formal education system in schools who appreciate had a harder job for many reasons, but the individual one-on-one -on -one tutoring moved overnight seamlessly. Mm. Hundreds and thousands of online tutors, tutorials were given by all the companies who were ahead of this and indeed our industry bodies, and we moved the entire industry there. What was of course interesting is that the pandemic is now over and three years later, almost all tutoring has remained online. Why? Because we created a better product, infinitely better for the tutor who doesn't have to travel, which is good. So you get professional people staying in the industry rather than going into banking and, and, and being lawyers all the time. And of course, the students prefer it because they now work primarily online and most of their interactions are online. Had it has still been that Skype tutor tutoring when we got to 2020 we would not have gone back to online tutoring and we would i think be years behind absolutely and, and when we're you know fundamentally we all want to help more customers and educate more people and what it does mean is that you're m able to make a larger impact um, in terms of the industry and actually you know have a bigger impact because you're teaching more students right you're teaching three students in a morning as opposed to uh, jumping on a tube and going to one student's house because you, you, you've actually not had, you've had that opportunity cost of losing those other potential clients um, and helping them with their education in that morning. And this all facilitated through online. So that's fabulous. And indeed, there's the, um, the innovator's dilemma. A uh, book with a good concept, quite a tricky read, I'll say. <laughs> not the easiest of business books, but in short, there's a difference between innovating and disrupting. And we often use the word disrupting as a buzzword. Everyone has to disrupt. Mm. But actually, in the original management parlance, disrupting means to create a cheaper quality product. So Ryanair and EasyJets were disrupting them, Virgin Atlantic and British Airways. It is a less good product that is cheaper. Obviously, that was fantastic for opening up international travel for those ones that I have never disrupted an industry I've always innovated that is I've created a better quality product usually for a higher price and this is um, somewhat overlooked a lot of entrepreneurs are really looking to disrupt industries to create something cheaper when we look there at online tutoring there were people trying to disrupt there were people trying to a third the price of it which sounds great of course but if you third the price of it, the quality and calibre professional you get is going to be not very good. And something like education which is a vocation as a skill, the difference between a not very good, maybe unqualified student tutor with no experience and the sort of professionals that we work with 10, 20, 30 years of teaching experience is huge. So it was really important that we didn't lower our prices when we moved online. And what that allowed was professional tutors to stay and make careers which lifts the entire industry up. There's still a place for that 10, 15 pound an hour tutor, of course, but you can go all the way up to 100 and the sky really is the limit pounds per hour um, for quality tutoring. So consumers have a choice. And I'm really glad that we didn't just disrupt the industry, that the industry didn't all move to 10 pounds an hour tutors, because I do not think we'd be achieving those 90% life changing results if we were only you know, getting our tutors paid minimum wage. Mm, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's really useful information to understand the difference between 
disrupting and innovating. And I love the way you've put that. I'll make sure I'll be more careful and mindful about when I'm using the word disrupting now. Thank you so much, Richard. So I always say the four areas of, um, you know, building your business is making sure that you have that clarity, that focus, and then be able to develop a strategy to be able to then take action. So that's my four-step mentoring process, clarity, focus, strategy, and action. You've had an enormous amount of success, an enormous amount of positivity, but there must have been some low points and perhaps pain and struggles and challenges during the early stages, or perhaps even in later. I mean, in total, how many years have you um, been an entrepreneur? That's 2016, 20, yeah, eight years, is it? Uh, yeah, I actually started 2014, so yeah, uh, it is. Uh, eight coming up nine years now coming up uh, to nine years and I, th I think what would be really useful for our entrepreneur listeners is to understand the mindset and understand some of the low points and how you came through them how did you get help did you have mentors what did you learn um you know because it, it is the mindset that is really the foundation to get you through such a challenging journey of building businesses so can you share some of your um perhaps challenges that and how you got through them who helped you yeah, absolutely it's uh, a very important topic that too many shy away from right a lot mm. of uh, entrepreneurs have to do pr and everything's great and it's all rock star and positive but actually it's it's very difficult mm. i've seen research saying that starting a business is basically akin to a low-lying mental health um, challenge that is a constant stressor and anxiety uh, on all of your time um, and when you actually meet with other entrepreneurs uh, in my industry and uh, across many industries it tends to actually be an agony aunt session once one person finally shows vulnerability often me leading it everyone else then goes this is really tough um, the amount of entrepreneurs I've seen break down and cry in these sessions because they've suddenly releasing how difficult it's been and they felt they've had to be really positive and pretend everything's going really well all the time. So it is really, really difficult. Um, perseverance is the most important skill in entrepreneurship or, or being any sort of responsibility probably. And one of my key lessons is um, there's three things we need to manage. I was always aware that you had to manage money in a business. I became aware pretty quickly that you had to manage time because there's a lot of things you can do and time is a very limited resource and more valuable than money it turns out but the third one that myself my business partners talk about which i think is the most important one and very relevant to your fantastic podcast is energy i think managing your energy is the most important resource that you have as an entrepreneur it is your energy that makes you great you can buy time by delegating you can earn money or raise capital but energy comes from you and you have to manage. So we've had every difficulty under the sun. We've had to take the government to a high court over dodgy regulation. We've had Google incorrectly kick us off of Google and then come back and sort of apologize for it. Um, we've had all the normal things you can have of issues and complaints and tech breaking and horror stories um, possible. And that just happens. I interact in any year with over 10,000 people through my business. So the, you, know, you only need a very, very small percentage of those to go wrong and you've got issues. It really is about how you manage those issues. And for me, managing energy is something I'm still learning. I'm absolutely not an expert on and I love wisdom of people such as yourself on this. But where I've got to so far is surround yourself with people who inspire, praise and compliment you. They don't have to necessarily be in business, but it's important that someone helps you keep your energy high. Invest in people, talented people you can delegate to and share the problems with. My work today is much easier than it was 10 years ago, because when the website goes down, I don't have to go and learn some code to fix it. I can give it to my very, very talented CTO, or indeed he can delegate it to his very, very talented head of tech below him. Um, I also give myself an hourly rate uh, quite a low hourly rate, but anything that I can delegate that is below that hourly rate, I do. 
so that I try to not get stuck in that miniature and I'm always thinking about, well, what do we need to be doing in six months and six years in the future rather than in the next six minutes? And uh, one that I got very recently uh, from a very, very successful business owner uh, who is a multi, multi, multi million, possibly billionaire, was take unlimited holidays. And this one really surprised me when I heard it a few months ago. But I guess it's to do with energy management. They said take as many breaks and as much time off as you possibly need so that when you come back, you always enjoy your job and you can inject that positivity into everyone else that you work with. And lastly, look after yourself. My primary job is to make sure I have good nutrition, exercise, sleep, good mental health practices and social. I actually spend more of my time trying to make sure that I wake up the best I can be because I know that if I am in a good place, I will make good decisions for my business. The first few years, I neglected all of those things and put the business first. And looking back, that really was a mistake. That really was something I continued to do and it slowed down the business growth because I wasn't at my best every day, which is what I need to be to go and achieve the lofty ambitions that I still have for this industry. Absolutely. There's so many nuggets in that. I love those bits on everything you've said, money, time and energy and actually balancing that energy. And you're absolutely right. Um, when we go back to the key aspects, which I believe are essential to grow and sustain, so it's all about sustaining that business and not it closing down and you having to give up, is, is mindset right at the top. And in order to manage that mindset, you need obviously the energy, because if you're burnt out, you're going to be making those decisions, as you said, Richard, from a bad place, because you're going to be in that drawn out place where you're not, make, you're not making good decisions because you're, you're, you're feeling negative. Um, marketing, which would be the second area. Again, how are you going to put out good marketing messages? How is your social media going to feel the tonality and represent the culture of your business if um, you're, you're exhausted because that will actually come through um, what you're saying. Um, the third one I always say is, you know, managing a team. Again, if your energy is down and you're not in the right place, that's going to come through. It's going to come th literally through your skin and through your eyes um, because our energy is, is everywhere. It's spiritual. It's all a part of us. So having that managing a team is also, you know, what you're projecting on them, they're going to pick that up. Um, maximizing your time, I love that when you talked about maximizing my time, because we can all say that we're busy and we all pretend that we're busy, but actually it's about a choice. Um, and when we're making those choices about our time, that's when the power comes. That's when we can sit in the power because we're making choices that works for us as opposed to using your time for projects and things and getting dragged into things that perhaps not really working for you. So sometimes um, we can think that being an entrepreneur, you do need to be a little bit selfish and going away on these holidays, I'm 100% behind this entrepreneur that said many, many holidays because that's how I, I actually manage my energy levels every holiday you know I, I will be away in a completely different place whether it's Morocco Australia India Canada I'll be away because changing environment helps us gain clarity and we need to gain that clarity to make more strategic um, decisions to be able to focus our mind and create strategy and then only get into action mode and the last one, which you are, you've been talking about all the through uh, these six aspects, is mastering that tech, because that's what you've done. In order to master that tech and run your business in the 21st century, it's all about that automation from social media to your CRM. Um, everything needs to be automated, so you are actually reminded. Um, you know, even even though you were reminded an hour early this morning, Richard, um, yeah. about where you need to be. So I love everything you said. You've said there so much, um, so many nuggets there, and I can see that all our listeners are going to be really impressed with um, and writing everything down. I hope they're writing all, it all down and going to take it all away. I want to um, move on to. Um, 
because I'm very much around building businesses where you're really giving high-level customer service. I've come from a franchising background where customer service is the pinnacle to in order to build and grow franchises. I've sold over 157 franchises in my um, corporate time, well, semi-corporate entrepreneurial time in um, the education franchise I was in. But I want you to share with me perhaps um, a really great transformational client story because I think that there's an enormous amount of shift in us, in our mindset and in being attached and engrossed in our products and services when we can actually understand how much effect we've had on our clients. Can you share um, perhaps a particular client that you've worked with? It could have even been in your early days um, before you started the profs or perhaps later in your journey over the last nine, eight year, nine years. Um, that really resonated and, and there was an emotional shift yeah, absolutely. And this is something, Anna, that you, you have certainly helped me out on. I, I certainly include you as uh, one, of my, my, uh, one of my mentors. Um, you can learn from everyone. And, and our time together on the board, you, you really showed me many things. Organization being fantastic. But I, I think the greatest contribution that you helped in my career development was the importance of positivity. And um, I have continued to tutor, back to my industry, uh, throughout my time as an entrepreneur. And that's been so important to give a lot of authenticity. Um, my tutors, there's about a thousand of them now, they respect that I'm one of them. I use the same system. I actually pay in more in uh, more in platform fees and commissions than they do on average, which is kind of funny, but I, I take in I take the same terms that they do, uh, if not probably slightly worse ones actually, um, when working with them. And that that's important, right? Because it shows that I am one of them. I'm not against them. I use the platform and I use the business. And if there's a problem that they have, well, I'm going to experience it too. Our clients respect that the business is owned and run by someone who knows the industry inside out. And my staff have a huge respect for the fact that I deliver results, right? I cannot be getting complaints. I cannot be doing a bad job. I have to be leading from the front. And what I realized was how important it is to get these success stories disseminating throughout all of the business so this success story really helped me which i'm about to say not just me as a tutor which was a great success as a student but i then telling my staff it really inspired them and showed them the value and that led to this fantastic transformation where every single week now at the end of our monday morning kickoff meeting we read out one of these life-changing success stories which inspires the team and helps them to have more confidence and do their job brilliantly we then get our tutors sharing these success stories. And so all of our clients are aware of our success stories and our brand is built around this success. So it's so galvanizing and your, your job as a business leader is to inspire people. And uh, it was a student that I uh, worked with individually a few years ago. Um, she was applying from, she was Nigerian and she wanted to do a master's program but had been rejected from um, all of the mid-tier universities. And I looked at her profile and I said, I think you've got a shot at London School of Economics, which to her was you know, even better than Oxford and Cambridge. It was the, 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 top, the top university you could go to for a management-related degree. And um, why I love the story was she was so sceptical when this advice was feeded back, fed back to my agent that she didn't believe our company was real. She thought it was such an outrageous claim to try and take money for this. Um, and I had to break protocol and actually get two of my recent success story clients, I actually phoned them up and said, bit of an odd one, would you mind having a chat with a prospective student, if that's okay with you? Obviously, I haven't given their details without their permission for a confidentiality reason. So they said, yeah, of course, happy to. So they had these two bonkers calls, as they described, where this uh, lady was convinced that it was all fake, but she eventually kind of linked in and went through and said whatever they said to them and said, okay, well, let's give this a go. Uh, we worked together, she was a brilliant student, and she not only got into London School of Economics, she got a full scholarship, and she actually made a return on the money she gave. I think she made four and a half times her money back because the scholarship gave her more spending money on top of the course. And you have never seen a reaction to this. The messages we got, she said she wasn't just the first person in her entire family to go to a master's course, but the entire person in her entire extended family, which I was led to believe was in the hundreds. And what a high bar they'd set the first master's course was go to the London School of Economics, studying a business related uh, degree. And that just got me so excited. And that got my team so excited. And we still tell the story. I think it's posted all over the website as well. So our clients, 
want to buy into that story. And we do deliver that again and again and again, uh, day in, day out. So I'm really glad you asked because it makes me feel good. It makes my team feel good. It inspires my tutors and it shows our clients the value we add. They can understand that student's journey and that is what they're paying us for. Oh, that's that's such a great story. Oh, my goodness. I'm so glad I asked these questions because I honestly believe that if we are so in touch and intact and really immerse ourselves into our client success, we clarify our purpose. When we go back to the day when you're on that underground tube and you're thinking there's got to be a better way of doing this, <laughs> okay? That it brings us back to that point emotionally. What is my purpose? Why do I run the profs? And it brings us into understanding that we're not just creating a mission and a value statement to our, our workforce, our team that just sits there, this works. But actually, you, you know, you're buying into this statement, right? Because you feel it. And business, to me, business and entrepreneurship and enterprise is, is almost like having a child. I mean, I've got two kids, but I think like the third kid's the business side in me, <laughs> right? Honestly, it's like you've yeah, got to nurture it, you've got to love it, you've got to give it rules, you've got to give it um, boundaries, and, you know, you've got to grow with the business because there's highs and there's lows. And touching in and climbing back in, to bed with those clients almost oh that's, that's terrible sorry that came out really badly but climbing back into that mindset of each client means that you can really understand and Simon Sinek talks about start with the why but I honestly believe as the years go by and you know I've interviewed and met and mentored so many directors of companies that have been running for 10 15 or even longer they are they they becomes a disconnect in their growth because they can't remember what was the purpose what was it all about and they need to go back to starting and having clarifying uh, their why why they're doing it um so i'm really glad you shared that story because it's important to remember each client and the effect we have and and you've actually used that as a strategy to did you say you're creating social media posts and things around that did you say that could you go over that again because how you can use marketing around that as well yeah absolutely so this is a, a real story it's a dream story right someone who mm. had failed to get into um that the reason they came to product was to get into university so they had failed to do it on their own we are showing our clear difference by doing it and then add on top of that the fact it was a fully paid scholarship and spending and then add on that that they made a positive return you can't get a better story right someone came to us and we made them tens of thousands of mm. pounds and got them what they wanted you imagine going to go and buy a car and someone gave you the car and 100 grand on top um, it's so easy uh, to be inspired by that the important part was realizing that you can use that energy and share that 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 is what we do so first of all getting my team to realize the value of that and then the marketing team that did a fantastic job of getting that all over our copy on our website and everyone who interacts with that story know it with our business sorry knows of that story whether that's a prospective client whether that's the team members they speak to or whether that's the tutors in our network who aspire to replicate these sorts of successes it's just a single case study that galvanizes what we do and gives us all confidence in what we're doing is the correct thing. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that story. And, uh, you know, I just love stories and storytelling is everything. You know, if you yeah, can tell a story and really get um, people to understand your vision, then and it, it helps enormously. Now, one key word, I'm going to do a bit of a trajectory here, but one key word that always comes to mind when you're speaking, I don't know if you're aware of this, and ever since I've known you is that you always talk about the team and I see you as a great, great, great leader that's good at building teams. It's actually one of my pillars in, in the five pillars of business success and growth is to actually have your people. What is your culture? How are you getting productivity from them? And how are you analyzing their capabilities? Tell me a little bit about your secret sauce in developing teams? That's a great question uh, that I could talk about for a long uh, time. So before I answer, I'd say 
we talk about the importance of technology and automation, which you're completely correct um, to raise, and people think of technology purely as coding these days, really, right? Creating an app um, or, or a CRM. But technology is actually just the application of knowledge. It's strictly defined as the application of scientific knowledge. Um, technology, for me, is people and systems. So building good systems and people that you can delegate to, even without technology, is still essential to an entrepreneur. I could not do what I do if I didn't have 20 people uh, sitting next to and, and below me getting their jobs done. And a huge amount of my time is building those systems. To break that down is quite a lot. I'll try and do as few points as I can. Number one, it all starts with people and hiring. Uh, the best advice I was given was put everything into hiring the right people. Ideally, people who are smarter and better than you at certain tasks. With that caveat, make sure you know enough about that particular business that they can't take you for a ride, of course, and you can interview them. So you have to get brilliant, competent people. You then have to create good systems of management for them. And for me, that is they should know exactly what they're expected to do every day, every month, Oh, sorry, every day, every week, and every month. So if I look at the best teams in my organization, uh, my sales teams that we've just done a lot of work on, they know exactly how many students they're meant to introduce to Tutor each day. They know exactly how many they're meant to do as a team over a week, and they know exactly how that's going to contribute to the business over a month. And we actually get them to physically write on the wall every time they have achieved anything. So that's number two, good systems of management and clarity on what you expect people to do. Number three, incentivize and reward them to high hell, <laughs> which is if they go and exceed those targets, they get bonuses, monetary, but also successes, social. The whole company goes wild. <coughs> Excuse me. The entire company goes wild when we hit targets. So it was the first day of the working month yesterday. And the energy, we had a new office. We promised if we hit targets, we move into this fantastic office we've moved into. All teams hit their targets. Everyone was just buzzing. And the question around the office was, right, how do we make it even bigger and break more records this month? So I think those were three. Hire the right people. That's really, really tricky and takes a lot of time to work out how to get the right people with the right energies that work well with you. Give them a clear target of what to do every day, week, and month, every hour if you can, if it's that level of granularity in their job. And number three, reward them, overpay them compliment them, share in the successes that you have to inspire them to go and do it again. And number four, finally, is then teach them to do that to the teams below them. And that's how you automate yourself for them. The best person then should go and create their own teams and do it so that you don't have to do it. I'm still working on that last bit, but I think I'm getting pretty close to the point where I have teams that can build teams. Mm, mm. And I think you know it's just great because what what you're doing at every level is you're valuing you're you're exhibiting your core values and that is valuing people and you know from the first day i met you 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 know you took the time to listen and talk to me i mean I, you know i remember that first time we met back in gosh i think it was 2014 um or 15 maybe um and i remember it was like you know, he's actually listening to me and I can imagine you with every employee and I think that's a, an incredible skill to have because when you get your employees to, to feel the company, to feel the profs and feel and be a, a, and share those successes, they feel valued and employees stay when they feel valued, right? So that, that's fantastic that you shared that with all our listeners and myself. And it's been an absolute pleasure to, to listen to that and hear the authenticity in your business that you're, you're actually building value-driven businesses. But I do believe there's a book in you on team building there. <laughs> I, I hope so. Give me another couple of decades, yeah. a few more mistakes and a lot more missteps. And <laughs> I would love, I would love to publish uh, probably but something, something along the, the working title of how not to do it so that you can do it better. So off the back of that, I'm not going to ask you to go two decades forward, but I'd love to hear your vision 
for your next five years? Where do you see yourself? You know, if you had like that vision board and that kind of close your eyes, where am I in five years' time? Where are you going to be living? What's life going to be like? What's in store for the business? And what do you like to be doing on a on you as Richard Evans? So I, I actually will go beyond five. I think my next five years is pretty um, pretty baked in now for for growing the business. Um, we, we've got clear objectives on that, which are soon going to be made public, so I won't do it right now. But for me, I think that the huge opportunity in education, which is my industry, I think I'm always going to be in education, is gamification of education. My dream is for you know, students and young adults to be playing educational games in the same uh, tenacity and dedication that they do FIFA, Call of Duty, Fortnite, uh, or whatever the newest game is um, that I'm now a bit too old to play. Um, I have a bit of a methodology for how this might be achieved, but I believe it is possible to create a game that teaches probably maths GCSE, maybe maths A-level, in a way that's almost addictively fun to play. And if we can create these sorts of games, then the changes that would have on the education system, where students go home and in their free time learn fantastic life skills and education, the amount of time that that would free up to use the classroom to do something a bit more interesting is really exciting. So that's my vision, is to create gamified education so that students turn up to school having already completed most of the syllabus because it was a fun thing to do in their evenings and weekends. Mm -hmm. And then what can teachers be teaching students? And for me, that's much more in the direction of life skills. Um, so that, that's my vision of what I think I want to achieve in my overall career. But I've got a few decades to get there, so I'm, I'm still putting together some of the building blocks. Fantastic, fantastic. I think gamification of educational content is pretty much there it is in its making at the moment, isn't it? Because I see that with some of our children that come to our school and they're, they're constantly talking about Times Table Rockstar and Miss, can you put me on this and what level am I and that? And we have that with our own software. Um, but actually incorporating that to an all-round curriculum at Key Stage 2 and Key Stage 3 and perhaps you know GCSE, as you said, would be an incredible way of testing a more of a a fair way of testing in terms of continual assessment um, as well um, because we can see that on some of those aspects at the moment and I see that through the software I use but yeah to take that to a next level where it almost feels um, like a game so they're more absorbed in it and addicted in actually becoming better and proficient at that particular skill or knowledge base is um, very, very clever. Yes, I love that. I love that. Thank you so much. So um, we're going to have to wrap up. I could have talked to you for another half an hour. Um, but just want to finish off, really, to pick your brain and um, really for the help of our entrepreneurs to think about, you know, what is it that helps you as an entrepreneur keep in flow? And as you know, I love um, the flow state and uh, Mihai Shikmihai, who's a psychologist who talked about the flow state and how we can have hits of dopamine through our happy state by finding these things that we do in our life that keep us balanced, that keep us happy, whether that is, uh, you know, if you're a car enthusiast, you could be having your head in an engine. If you are a sports person, that could be the person that's in the gym. But all these different things keep us in flow, including the high that we are going to get to in terms of flow in our business. So what are your two, two or three top key learnings and how do you think entrepreneurs who are coming into the entrepreneurial field or perhaps already running their businesses need to do to keep in flow, keep yeah, going? No, great question. I think to summarize, um, number one, do something energy gaining every single day. Make sure that you do not go home without doing something energy gaining. Even if you've got to do your taxes at the end of the year, plan something in. So this is my energy gaining thing for today. I love for my business. Talking about business is typically far more fun than doing business. <laughs> Find something that's great. Um, 
surround yourself with positive people, such as Anna, uh, people who inspire you and get you excited about what you do. Uh, that could be people in the business, it could be if, if you're at that stage, uh, managers or, or good employees, or of course it can be family, friends, loved ones, children, maybe even pets. But make sure you're surrounding yourself with positive people who make you feel good about yourself. Um, number three, take unlimited holidays. I do think it's great advice. Do not feel guilty when you're not working. You need to have downtime so that you can come back and have your best ideas. Your best ideas will always be when you're on the train or on the plane or even just opening the fridge for a sandwich. That's when ideas come and strike you, almost never when you're actually sitting in front of a computer. Um, for me, I think it's really important to stay close to the business. That's really helped me um, to keep that anchor. You've talked about some people have lost that and lost that passion. You know, I still take out Fridays in order to work my individual clients. And that means that I've kept relevant as the world of tutoring has innovated massively over the past 10 years. Um, lots of which we've brought in, but a lot of which we haven't. And I still understand the needs of my clients because of that and therefore can direct the right decisions for them. My clients being the tutors and of course, the uh, students who typically pay for our services. And lastly, and most importantly, look after yourself. You talk about exercise, but I mean, I have an entire network of people. It's taken me quite a long time to be able to afford this network, but I invest heavily. And we're talking thousands almost um, a month, certainly hundreds, in order to have good routines. I have good nutritionists, I have good exercises, I unashamedly have therapists to help me deal with the stresses of business and mentors. And I spend quite a lot going on those unlimited holidays. So I originally didn't have the funds to do this, uh, so I had to create it myself. But as soon as I have each year, I've sort of unlocked one more professional. And I'd say there's probably five people outside of my business who I pay in order to help me um, to keep my life uh, calmer so that I am my best for business. And you must invest in yourself. If you are at your best, your business will grow. If you are at your worst, your business will be at its worst. Oh, some great tips there. I think I've only written down four, though. So naughty me. I've got energy, positive people, balancing your energy, positive people, regular holidays, look after yourself. Remind me of that fifth one that you were talking about. So I think it's important to stay close to your business. Stay if you close to your business. So if, if it's at all possible, try to still be a customer or be physically close or present to what you achieve, right? Mm. See and visualize the success or the problem that your business is solving. Mm. Absolutely. There's some great tips there. This, And just also, I'd, I always love asking all my guests that come on my show, a quote that you live by or something that even you've derived yourself or another uh, famous quote or perhaps a quote that you've you've come up with yourself would you like to share with our our audience of entrepreneurs so that would help them yeah i i, I a very simple one i think of the shia labeouf meme just do it uh, it really is just do it uh, if you have an idea that you think is worth doing just do it and jump in. Get some good advice, but put your toe in the water before committing fully potentially and check that there are those three core bits of business. Does anybody care? Really important that you can persuade somebody. Does anyone care enough to pay for it? And do enough people care to pay for it? But that all begins with just do it. There are so many of us who have great ideas and thought of the iPhone or thought of you know uh, cheap travel, but there's only you know, a couple of people who actually went and did it. And the question is, do you want to be that person? If so, work out the details later. Mm, absolutely. And it's incredible, actually, because a lot of the people I have been interviewing have been bringing up that quote from Nike. Um, so it's a very powerful quote. It's going to go, go up next to Mahatma Gandhi's quote or something like that, or Stephen Covey and Tony Robbins. You know, <laughs> we'd have the Nike quote just to do it because it's so relatable at every level, isn't it? I can hear every parent even saying to their children, I'm sure I've said it a million times to my kids, just do it, get on with it. <laughs> yeah, and, so. and as I said, I, I said earlier, I was seconds away. When I saw that competitor, my heart sunk. I thought, oh, someone's already doing university tutoring. There goes my niche. I was seconds away. And if I hadn't have had lunch that day, if I hadn't done exercise, I probably would have said, you know what? Yeah, I'm just going to go and take a job. <laughs> I was so close to not doing it. So, so important that something there screamed in my subconscious, just do it. And, you know, here we are 10 years later, and I would certainly not have had it any other way. Incredible, incredible entrepreneur um, from, you know, sort of, I don't know, maybe 300 pounds a week. Now you're running 
a business um, or several businesses, the business is 20 million, did you say, in turnovers. Um, what an incredible journey. And, you know, it's fantastic on the teams that you've built, the products that you've built, you've um, innovated at every level um, and, and enabled your branding and your fantastic way of communicating what you do to actually attract investment and investors um, and other team members at a really high level. So really impressed with this um, interview today. Have you enjoyed it, Richard? I always enjoy it. Absolutely. I said I love my business and I always leave our conversations feeling inspired and I'm honoured to uh, have been invited to be a guest. So thank you so much, Anna. I always learn so much from you. Thank you so much, Richard. It's been great to uh, know you over these years, and I hope that we our paths will cross further um, through the Tutors Association. I do believe that we're having an award ceremony and various other things are coming up, exciting things. I am very passionate about tuition and educational development, but more in the last um, 10 years, it's more about coaching, mentoring, and the mindset blocks that stop us from actually achieving our inner potential so it's been fabulous talking to you today Richard and I wish you all the best for your future success and all our listeners thank you so much for tuning in to Entrepreneurs in Flow and I hope you've enjoyed today's episode look forward to having you on the next episode of Entrepreneurs in Flow.